Welcome everybody from all around the world. Welcome to this podcast, Escaping the Entanglements of Our Lives. You got yours, and I've got mine. I'm your host, I'm Dolphus Q. I'm the originator and the creator of this podcast. Now our lives, yours and mine, are easily entangled with things both real and mon- <laughs> both real and malignant. Both good and bad. These entanglements start some would say before we are born. And that's when you're getting into genes, chromosomes, and all of that stuff. But I believe whatever the entanglements that escape is possible. Yes, we can escape the entanglements of our lives. It's simple as Buddha sitting under a yum-yum tree. (laughs) Yes, we can set ourselves free. At least that part of our minds that determine most every facet of our lives. But if you're following me, you know exactly what I'm doing. I'm escaping one of the major entanglements of my life. I'm reading and writing my book before your very ears. (laughs) And I'm having fun doing it. Every time I write, I am free. (laughs) Dr. King said, free at last. I say free forever. But now, like the war is said, the time has come. Yes, my friends all around the world, the time has come for the reading of the word. Episode 12, chapter 12, Hope Lost in Houston. When the night Rider and I reached the Sally, it was dark outside. The front doors of the building had not been unlocked. The night Rider led me to a courtyard at the rear of the building. A five-gallon urn of hot black coffee had been placed on a table in the courtyard. We waited with paper cups of coffee in our hands with about 30 other homeless men. One by one, the men who spent the night inside the sally and had to leave early in order not to be late for a job were permitted to leave, but no one was permitted to enter through the exit doors of the courtyard. Son Bolo complained bitterly when I saw him. He swore not to spend another night there.
he wished he had camped out with us. He offered the night Rider a cigarette. They smoked and plotted their plans. It was decided between them, since I did not have the necessary ID, it would be best if I hung loose around the Sally. They would be back before five. I agreed but felt left out as I watched them walk away to sell their blood plasma and to pick up food stamps. I felt remorseful. I knew when I faced them at five, their pockets would be fat with money and both my palms would be empty. I felt like a once proud person reduced to begging for breadcrumbs. Those feelings evaporated as I overheard clips of a conversation between two men. The two spoke of easy money with one requirement, stand in one spot for two or three hours. Intrigued by the clips, I intruded upon their conversation. I excused myself and asked if there were any openings left and could I apply for the job? One of the men explained exactly what the job was and what was required. Immediately, I inquired about ID. Both men laughed. One laughed, heck no, you don't need any ID to hawk newspapers. I waited with the two men for a white cargo van. When the van arrived, I was one of the lucky ones who got in before the driver said he had enough. I was let out of the van with three bundles of newspapers. I sold what I could, and at the appointed time, the van returned and picked me up. The driver asked where I wished to be dropped off, back at the Sally or downtown. I chose downtown. Downtown Houston looked like the heart and hub of every big city on a Monday morning at the height of a human rush hour to arrive at vastly different destinations at the same time. Everywhere I looked except up at skyscrapers, I saw a convergence of humanity. But amid the sights and sounds that reached my ears, the most persistent were beeps from automobile and shouts of irritation. Hey, buddy, why don't you watch where you're going? A sweaty-faced cab driver shouted from the open window of a yellow cab. He shouted at a hatless, well-dressed man who wore a new business suit, shoes, shirt, and a tie. He held a briefcase in his hand. He had started across the street in the path of the cab as it moved ahead slowly in the slow-moving rush-hour traffic. Why don't you go back to New York City where you belong? The man raised a finger and yelled, F you. Those heated exchanges reminded me of such heated exchanges I've heard on the streets of Miami. The one distinction between the two cities was the mode and theme of dress. 
Most of the people I saw, especially the men, dressed in Western attire or carried some small trinket associated with the days of the Old West. I witnessed the scene from the bottom to the top. I saw a parade of cowboy boots in rainbow colors. Some sparkle with rhinestones to match cowboy britches, cowboy belts, cowboy buckles, cowboy shirts, cowboy bow ties, and the crown of the cowboys, the cowboy hat. The women dressed differently from the men. They seemed more modern and in step with the times. One of my biggest thrills was to wait for the pedestrian signals to cross the street to change. During those long waits, I would revel in the mixture of sweet fragrances from the heads and shoulders of the women in a rush to get to a job on time. My mind became intoxicated with intimate thoughts. Soon, I was in no hurry to leave downtown Houston. I walked, I waited, I looked. I thought about the freedom I sought. I began to see hope in Houston. My eyes singled out a construction site. A tall chain link fencing separated the site from the pedestrian traffic on the sidewalks. I saw a sign the size of a movie poster erected on the fence. It read, help wanted, please inquire inside. I stared in disbelief. The site figuratively begged for help. On an impulse, I stopped and considered an inquiry inside, but stopped short. When I remembered, I had no idea. I brushed aside my failure to initiate that impulse. I told myself I would see many such signs in the promised land. I walked and looked for hours before I realized I was lost. It was difficult to ask for directions back because they were unknown to me. I knew nothing of the city's footprint. I had only two points of reference, the railroad tracks and the Salvation Army. But without precise points, no one was able to render me any aid. Finally, after many failures, I spotted from the corner of my eye someone whom I believe could help me. Say, brother, I called out as a man prepared to duck into an alley. He stopped, turned his head back. His eyes scanned me completely. I'm lost, I said quickly. I want to get to the Sally, the one close by the railroad tracks. Sure, he grinned. It ain't far. I'm headed over there myself. Soon after I take a little taste, the taste of wine from the bottle hidden in a brown paper bag appeared to lubricate the man's vocal cords. He called Houston a good city, but insisted it was doomed to go down the drain. You know why? Let me tell you. These so-called big-time oil-rich Texans no longer do dirty work. They pay Mexicans little or nothing at all to do their dirty work for them. And if you ain't a Mexican 
I will not work for less than a Mexican peso. You won't get a good job in Houston. I tell you, Houston is going down the drain. He turned up the bottle hidden in the brown paper bag and held it to his lips until the bottom had drained itself dry. He wiped his lips and immediately wanted to know if I could chip in on another bottle of wine. I told him no and that I really wanted to get to the Sally, that I had to be there before five. He pointed out the way, then without much ado, we parted ways. I started to see sights that I remembered. I knew I was on the correct path. I smiled and repeated the words, the promised land. That was my new name for California. I swore to myself that I would not stop until I reached the promised land. What I swore strengthened and strangely emboldened me. I was overpowered by a single thought that I could reach the promised land from Houston on my own. I had learned the basics about becoming a hobo. I had learned how to find a rail car to ride. I knew who, what, when, and where and how. I knew the things to avoid. I knew which track ran which way. I knew how to hop on and off a freight train without serious injuries. Indeed, my self-assessment, I had learned a lot. But did I know enough to get me to the promised land by myself? As I followed the path back to the Sally with certainty, I felt like a different person. I felt like I could handle any situation I encountered, even being deserted by son Bolo. The man had told me correctly. I was not far from the Sally. I soon saw the red and white sign a few blocks ahead. It was hours before five. I expected to see neither son Bolo nor the night rider. I chose to hang loose and wait. I wasn't the only one who waited in the vicinity of the Sally. I saw a slew of men, and among them a sprinkling of women with children who also waited. But we waited for different reasons. They waited like the famished for food. I waited for the appearance of Sun Bolo and the Night Rider. I waited to hop aboard a freight train again en route to the promised land. I waited like a slew of ants traversed the length of my legs beneath my pants. I could not stand still. I grew bored and decided to walk beyond the boundaries of the vicinity. I entered a neighborhood store that advertised on its windows the lowest prices in town. I didn't have a deep desire for anything, but decided upon a can of beer simply for relaxation. I thought the price of a single can of beer was an outright robbery by the rich from the poor who shopped faithfully in the store. But I didn't protest as I accepted the brown paper bag to hide the can from the eyes of the police when I left the store. 
I sipped from the hidden can as I started back to the sally. I soon noticed a hidden grandeur in the buildings that lined the street. They suggested there was a time when commerce flourished on this street. I wondered what went wrong, what had caused it to go down the drain. What was, what caused it to go from grandeur down to a hard core, bare bones ghetto? The alcohol in the beer relaxed me, but failed to cheer my spirits about what my eyes saw as I neared the sally. Even more men, women, and small children waited, herded together into a single line with one policy women and children, and the handicapped first. I paused at the predicament and drank the last of the beer. Suddenly I mused upon the can hidden in the bag. I thought of the slew of cans I had gathered and sold, not for, for survival, but to smoke crack cocaine. I removed the can from the bag with a pain of remorse I didn't see a trash can anywhere, nor did I want to toss the can to the ground. Soon I saw a solution and smiled. I returned the can to the bag and placed it upright at the base of a lap post, then continued towards the sally. I was surprised to see the night rider as soon as I neared the building. He sat on the curb, flanked by two men who laughed, talked, and drank wine from a bottle hidden in a brown paper bag. I hurried over to where the trio sat. Hey, Night Rider, I grinned with welcome glee. Y'all done made it back? Where's Son Bolo? I don't know where Mr. Know-it-all is. He took off with some bitch in the food stamp office. Just like that, I said. I recall what had happened in Jacksonville. If he had hooked up with a woman, he might not meet us at five or at any time thereafter. I felt very uncertain. I looked at the night rider. You think he'll be back here by five? I don't give a shit if he never gets back, declared the night rider and spat on the ground. I was lost for a response. Sure, I had said to myself I could make it from Houston to the promised land on my own. But this was so sudden and unexpected. I was shocked by the, the realization I was still green when it came to the actual logistics of hoboing a freight train. Suddenly, I was filled with fear at the thought of doing it alone and on my own. I swallowed and quickly said, Well, I guess we must wait around to see if he shows up. The night rider took a swallow of wine and passed the bottle. No, you must wait, he declared. I plan to stay in Houston. I've got a good job all lined up. A job? You got a job? The night rider grinned. Man, Houston is full of jobs. The city is a test market. All I got to do is hand out samples, make 50 or $60 a day. 
Wow, I cried out, unable to do anything but shake my head and repeat the word, wow. The night rider stopped grinning. He said he could hook me up too. And in a matter of weeks, I could be on a jet plane flying to the promised land. It sounded too good to be true. But I felt bound by the commitment I had made to Sun Bolo. I said it sounded good, but my mind was set on riding the freight train to the promised land. I don't see anything wrong with that, the night rider said. But the way I see it, a jet plane flying from Houston will get you to the promised land faster than a freight train rolling on the tracks. However, I understand this ain't my quest, and you must do for you what you think is best. He didn't press the itcher any farther. I sat down on the curb with him and his friends and waited. Soon the doors of the Sally opened at last, and quickly a long line formed from the door and tail end across the street. The night rider and his friends remained seated on the curb like spectators, all like they had no interest in free food. They continued to laugh, to talk, and to pass the bottle around. I waited with them, but didn't partake in their antics. If I had partook, perhaps I wouldn't have heard the quick beat from a horn from a car behind a yellow cab that stopped short to momentarily dispense its only passenger on the opposite side of the street. When the passenger opened the door to exit the yellow cab, stood upright, I stood upright too. I stared straight at Sun Bolo. I waved my arm. I shouted out his name. He spotted me and the trio seated on the curb. He said something to the driver and allowed the yellow cab to drive off before he walked across the street to where we sat. If y'all hadn't been here, Sun Bolo said with a smile and an air of relief, man, I was going like the wind. The night rider grinned, but seemed to grin straight in Sun Bolo's face. It wouldn't have made any difference to me. I'm going to stay here in Houston. Sun Bolo looked blindsided. His face contorted into a mass of hate. He looked at the faces of the trio, then focused his eyes on mine. What about you, Joe? You going to stay in Houston, too? I spoke up quickly like speed was my only route to salvation. No, I'm going to, no, I'm not going to stay here. My plan ain't changed. I still want to get to Los Angeles in the promised land. Well then, come on, let's go, snapped Sun Bolo. I'm tired of hanging around these sorry-ass city tramps. I gathered my gear. The night rider smiled as he told Sun Bolo about the shortcut to the tracks. It's shorter than the long walk back to where we got off. Sun Bolo told him he wanted to walk. 
then turned on his heels and marched away. I nearly had to run to keep up with him. I didn't say anything to him, but periodically he behaved as if I had. He'd blow off a few sentences like steam from a pressure cooker. I knew he was full of shit. You can't trust a freaking alcoholic. Blew it. Walk up, Joe. Damn, man. Walk the F up. And with that, <laughs> we've reached the end of our episode for this time. I invite everybody around the world to join us next time for escaping the entanglements of our lives. Until next time, so long, everybody. <laughs>